0: Learn more online at MediaMakingChange.org. Today on our show, we're celebrating Earth Day by spotlighting the work of the Western Rivers Conservancy, one of our local nonprofits that's working to protect our rivers. Check out their work or donate to save a river at WesternRivers.org. This is
1: Phil Bussey. It's the nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I am joined by the president of Western Rivers Conservancy, Sue Doroff. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Let's just start right in with, with the slogan.
1: Sometimes to save a river, you have to buy it. There's a lot in there to, to, to talk <laughs> about, but can you just give a quick, uh, quick synopsis of what that means?
2: Sure, of course. Well, you know, uh, the old marketing axiom is that, you know, say what you are. And so we're Western Rivers Conservancy. So we buy land along rivers in the West. And sometimes to save a river, you have to buy it as a motto, is a shortcut to describing our piece of the puzzle of saving the great rivers of the West. Because for us, our tool is land acquisition, buying land from willing sellers. To permanently, forever protect those riverlands for the benefit of fish, wildlife, and people. And any lawyer will tell you, you can't buy a river. <laughs> and, and they're absolutely right. But that doesn't stop us from having our motto because we buy lands along rivers uh, because lands and rivers are inextricably linked and the landscape nourishes and sustains the river and vice versa. Yeah, you
1: know, it's it's really, right. You can't put a for sale sign in a river, right? Because it's never the same river twice. Um, so many things though that that go into that is, you know, who are you buying the land from? And, and let's, we'll, we'll get to that. So you co-founded this organization 30 years ago. Was there an aha moment?
2: You know, uh, so I co-founded this organization with a guy named Phil Wallin, and Phil Wallin had uh, had created this predecessor organization uh, when he was fighting a dam in New Mexico on the Rio Chama. And so it became clear that protecting rivers permanently, um, working with willing sellers. And, but finding those strategically important parts of the landscape was was uh, was going to be one of the most effective ways to make a difference. And so the aha moment came for me when I joined Phil walline in 1991, and uh, and then he and I co-founded Western Rivers Conservancy in 2001.
1: And again, so much to to talk about here because this this is a this is a huge project. Um, let, let's start with, with, I mean, it can't be cheap. So where, where does the money come from? I mean, this is more than just a cupcake sale to raise some funds. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're buying land, you're buying valuable land, uh, and we'll talk about from whom you're buying it in a second, but talk to me about some of the financing for this.
2: Sure. Well, so first of all, we work in the, in the uh, 11 Western States, and, uh, and so in every state, there's different funding opportunities. We need funds uh, for buying dirt, capital, and we need funds to support our work. And we call that project development support. And we, we look to individual donors and foundations to support that. But the funding for buying lands and, uh, and, you know, whether you're buying uh, 100 acres or 10,000 acres, it takes the same amount of expertise and work, but, but you put your finger on it. The financing, the funding of that is much more complicated. And so for us, uh, you know, we know it when we see it. For an important landscape, whether there's readily available funding for it or not, we will find a way to make it work. And it's become... Uh, one of the things we're known for is creative conservation finance. And uh, And you know it's something I'm uh, very proud of. I think as an organization, we may be pioneers or at least cutting edge on those matters. but uh, but it's tricky because there's a, on the federal level, there's the Land and Water conservation fund. And that fund is uh, uh, monies come to that fund through Congress from offshore oil leasing, and it was just permanently funded uh, with the Great America Outdoors Act. uh, I think it's two years ago now. And so for projects that rise to the level of uh, importance, they can be funded by the Land and Water Conservation Fund and conveyed to one of the four federal natural resource agencies the Bureau of Land Management, the Forest Service, the Park Service, or the National Park System. But And then, of course, there's funding on the state level and there's bond funding you can do on the city or county level. and, and But sometimes there's just no public money around and you have to figure it out anyway. And so we've found tools. We found uh, uh, you can develop a carbon project And instead of cutting trees, bring that carbon to market that those trees hold and generate capital for purchase of lands. Uh, And we found uh, there are some mechanisms available for other purposes, Uh, you know, within severely economically depressed census tracts. There's something called new markets tax credits, and you can generate capital by selling new markets tax credits to companies that need tax credits and, uh, and be able to level the playing field by, you know, and in, in it's intended, that program's intended for building grocery stores and food deserts or building clinics where they need medical clinics. Um, but for us, we were able to use it for jobs in the woods. And doing restoration, and in the in the process, generating capital for land acquisition. So it's a long-winded answer to a an, to a short question.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I, I want to get into some case studies in a in a second. But so you're buying the land from who's who who owns the land? I mean, ranchers own the land, uh, or is this some of this is is federally owned land? Who who's actually selling it? Uh, who do you buy it from?
2: Absolutely. Well, first of all. You don't need to buy every acre of land and paint it green, Uh, so so the art of this is identifying strategically important areas, and you know when you think about rivers and the lands that sustain them, because the watershed goes from ridgeline to ridgeline, so sometimes our projects can be quite substantial, but you want headwaters protected, you want confluence areas protected, you want estuaries protected, and you want the um, It's
1: a game of strategy.
2: It well, it always is, right? But uh, but and then and then you work. We work with willing sellers, where uh, we we are willing to pay fair market value, and uh, and to gain control of these lands, we have short-term funding available to us to buy and hold lands until we can find permanent funding, and then we work with one of those. Uh, you know, we have a hierarchy of preferences from federal agencies to state agencies to local agencies like Metro and the Portland metropolitan area to tribes and and we have found tribes to be um, our, our natural partners, you know tribes were here at the beginning and uh, and their lives and culture and religion all surround the natural world and rivers, and for tribes that have uh, the depth and resources and interest in owning and managing lands for conservation, uh, we have terrific partners in that.
1: Okay, um, let's let's talk maybe a specific projects here. But uh, so so John Day, uh, I did not realize it's the Pacific Northwest longest on dammed river. True. Um, and you, you have four projects on the lower John Day. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So what? And 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 uh, helped create the Cottonwood Canyon Park. Let's talk about that. Maybe how does how does that one work? The me- mechanics of of creating a park. Who? What was it before uh, you you arrived? And then how did you know it came to market, or did you help nudge it to market?
2: You know what? I love. Thank you for this question because this is a fun story, and it certainly illuminates a lot of what we do. We got a phone call from uh, a friend of ours who's a a fishing guide, Marty Shepard, saying, hey, there's this ranch for sale on the John Day River. It's a really big deal. If I had $10 million, I would buy it. Can you guys do anything about it? And there have been a lot of people working in the John Day Basin on issues, water issues uh, and, and other conservation concerns. Uh, but, but, uh, and, but we had not been, we, it, was, it was even though we're in Oregon, we hadn't spent a whole lot of time in the John Day. And so I went out uh, and took a look at the property and the seller was, uh, was Jimmy Murtha. Uh, Jimmy Murtha and his brother assembled this ranch over the prior decades. It was, uh, it was one of these properties that just didn't show really well in the dog days of August. And, uh, and you know, the water was barely moving and you know, like you could catch a fish by stepping in the river and picking it up. It was just hot and the, it was dry and, uh, and dusty and there were lots of abandoned equipment everywhere. You know, it was a working ranch that had fallen into disrepair. It was, uh, it was hard to see the beauty of this place until I looked at the map. And this property that the Mirtha brothers had assembled was a river conservation project. It was long and skinny. It follows 16 miles of river, including the deeded lands and the grazing lease. And, uh, and it, so it was, it was 8,000 acres of ranch land, 8,000 acres of grazing lease, With 16 miles of river, with one of the four critical streams. Uh, There's four cold water tributaries that nurture and sustain the John Day, especially with water withdrawals during the year. And the and the lower and the lower creek that's on this property is called Hay Creek, and this property had three and a half miles of Hay Creek that delivers year in and year out, all year long, three to five CFS of water, which doesn't sound like very much, but it's a lot for the John Day in the dead of summer. And, uh, and it became clear that this would be an amazing conservation project. And so we immediately uh, said, great, we'll figure out how to do this. And we had no idea. And so we, uh, we made a deal, we, we struck a price, the seller and uh and then we went and found a lender who we'd never worked with before but uh but you know you know it when you see it this was an amazing project and then we had to figure out who would take care of it in the long term where could we put you know who who was who was going to be the long-term steward and provide funding take out funding to repay our loan and i went to uh Oregon State Parks and uh, because I'd understood that Oregon State Parks was hoping to have another regional presence in some part of the state. And the uh, state parks director at the time was a guy named Tim Wood. The governor was Ted Kulingowski. And and they, uh, state parks, and the governor got very excited about this ranch. And it was to become the first wild park where it was going to be managed for conservation first. And, it, and they were going to compress their footprint to a very small part of the park and let the rest be wild. And they were going to allow hunting, according to Oregon law and all that, uh, in the park, which was unheard of before, and so it was—it was this happy uh, confluence of being in the right place at the right time, all because this great guy Marty Shepard picked up the phone and called one of my board members and me about the property.
1: And so, so, so that
2: is now a state park. It is now the state park. It's one of their largest. Mm-hmm. Uh, It was funded with lottery funds uh, and the park, uh, the state bought it in phases and the state, for anyone who hasn't had a chance to go out to Cottonwood Canyon State Park, you must. The state has done a stellar job developing the park. They've retained the uh, cultural heritage of ranching there. They've kept the barn. They've, uh, all the neighbors came on the opening day with their brands and they branded the fence with uh, each with their unique brand. And, uh, and it's turned into a, a real uh, cultural center for the community. Since the park's been developed, there's, a, there's an educational center that's been added. There's cabins. Uh, I think this town of Condon would say they've seen a huge increase in tourism and economic development benefits. And the park is, is like a little Grand Canyon. It is absolutely beautiful. And so not only is the John Day River critical for threatened and endangered salmonid species, because it is, and this park makes a huge difference That and and our other projects upstream that we have subsequently done on Thirty Mile Creek, which is a very popular put-in, and we could talk about that next if you like. But but the importance of the uh, of this park to uh, the survival of um, fish and bighorn sheep and other kinds of charismatic critters can't be uh, overstated. It's it's just a very big deal.
1: Yeah, we, we we stumbled into that park. I, I, one does not just stumble into it, but we were we were out visiting John Day and and, and came around it, and, and and like you said, I mean it it really is magical. It 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 has the essence of the old west. Uh, it has that that essence of of ranch life, uh, as well as just sort of shuffled in there with with just this beauty that you know here in Portland. Uh, it's, it's a different, it's a very different style of Oregon. It's a very different look. It's a very different feeling. Uh, Sue Doroff is the president for Western Rivers Conservancy. And now you brought in a, a Liam Bridges song for us to listen to, appropriately named.
2: I did. River, of course. <laughs> One of well, my favorites.
1: Let's take a listen and we'll be right back.
3: Been traveling these wide roads For so long My heart's been far From you Ten thousand Miles gone Oh, I want to come here And give Every part of me But there's blood on my hands And my lips are unclean in my darkness, I remember Mama's words recur to me Surrender to the good thought And wipe your slate clean. Take, Take me to, to your river. river I wanna go A go to your river I wanna know Dip me in your smooth waters I go in as a man with many crops come up for air as my sins flow down the Jordan Oh, I want to come here and give yeah, you yeah. every part of me. But there's blood on my hands. And my lips are want the crease. Take me to your river. I want to go. Go Take me to your river
1: This is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Happy Hour and X-Ray FM. Sue Doroff is president of Western Rivers Conservancy. And before the music break, we were talking about uh, the John Day River. Uh, We were talking about Cottonwood Canyon Park, which uh, the Western Rivers Conservancy helped facilitate uh, the purchase from a couple of brothers and and move into a state park, a a part wild, part historic, part learning center state park. Let's, we have a few minutes left here. Let's talk about something a little bit closer to home for many of our readers, the Sandy River.
2: Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. So the Sandy uh, is near and dear to my heart. It was actually one of my first um, landscape level projects with Western Rivers. The project, uh, the Sandy, it's the wild river closest to an urban area in the country. And, uh, and cause it's only 50 miles from Portland and, and it's only 50 miles long. It goes from the flanks of Mount Hood to the Columbia. And, uh, and back at the turn of the, I guess it would be 19th century, Portland General Electric um, built a dam on the Sandy River. It was a 60 foot high earthen dam uh, that sometime uh, in the 80s, I think, was built and turned into a concrete dam. And it was a run of the river dam, which means it shunted water off to the side and, uh, and, uh, and then ran it through the ridge, Rattlesnake Ridge, and dumped it into a, a flume along with all of the water from the Little Sandy River. It 100% dewatered the Little Sandy River. And it ran that flume down to a lake and uh, and the power generated from that Rube Goldberg dam situation uh, powered a railroad for folks to come out and uh, picnic on the weekends from Portland. And uh, and of course the uh, economic value of that dam, you know, the power that it generated really wasn't economic. And so, PGE and an entire settlement group worked for quite some time. Uh, it, it had two failures before it finally came up with a settlement to, uh, that would allow PGE to deconstruct the dam and remove it and have it be uh, a free-flowing river once again. And the Sandy River is called the Sandy because of the massive amount of sediment load it carries. And so it turns out that you can't take the dam apart without it filling in over the subsequent winter season. So much sediment and cobbles come down that the only way to remove the dam was to deconstruct it. They built an earthen dam, they removed the concrete. And then for the first high water event in the fall, they notched the earthen dam and it broke free. And, uh, and there was a big worry, you know, that everything would be mucked up and all the tributaries would be, Blocked and there were all kinds of contingency plans. Well, sure enough, it turned into a free flowing river within 24 hours. And fish were back in the little Sandy within weeks. It was amazing. And so, what part did Western Rivers Conservancy have in that? Because we're not about dam busting or anything, we're just about bringing our particular skill set to complicated problems. And so our role in this was to uh, take title to the lands associated with the dam and move it into permanent protection because the neat thing that a dam did in having a project controlled by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission was uh, was these lands remained undeveloped. And so uh, when the dam came out, we wanted to be sure they acted, they remained undeveloped, could function, as as a conservation and recreation area. And so we were able to move those lands into the hands of the Bureau of Land Management to be managed as a 14 mile long conservation and recreation area, which is a class four boating um, run. Do not do that run unless you are an expert, but it's a wonderful hike. There's great old growth, the bridge that used to run over the dam is still in place. You can walk across it and walk down this beautiful stretch of old growth. And it's, you know, 50 miles from Portland.
1: It's really wonderful that the, the massive work that Western Rivers Conservancy is doing in shifting uh, the natural resources, river-based, river adjacent, in, into, you know, back to where they belong it's really wonderful just to see this and hear about this. And I encourage our listeners to look at your website. I mean, if, if you ever need inspiration of where to go hiking or where to go camping or where to go visit, your, your website serves as sort of a, a travel guide of sorts. Um, I just have time for one quick question though. Your, your biography, your bio says that you like floating the rivers.
2: Well, I do, but it's but it takes um, but it's it goes against my uh, instincts. I I, water is is not to be messed around with. But I am happiest literally floating in water. And
1: recommendation of of where you like to go.
2: Well, I will say uh, for anyone who has the means to do a multi night trip, um, there's nothing like getting away on a river and really getting connected to nature. We do it every year as an organization. It really is important to understand the importance of moving water to the human soul. And so I feel like in Oregon, go to the Rogue River if you can. Uh, Do a a multi-day float if you can. If not, get in a canoe on the Willamette River. It's amazing. You go down to the confluence of the McKenzie with the Willamette and float. It doesn't require skills. It just requires a craft. It You get away. You get a million miles away, and it's an amazing experience right here on the Willamette River.
1: I, I am inspired. Thank you very much. Sue Doroff is the president for Western Rivers Conservancy. This has been the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM.
0: The Nonprofit Happy Hour is made possible by Beneficial State Bank, a certified B Corps that holds to what it calls a triple bottom line of social justice, environmental well-being, and economic sustainability. If your organization or business is interested in underwriting our show, please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM. Our host is Phil Bussey. Our executive producer and editor is me, Carly Meisberger. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page. Questions, comments, or ideas about the show can be sent to info at mediamakingchange.org. Thanks for tuning in.